All right. All right. Good evening, New Philadelphia. That's like evening, right? We, we, we the, the staff of New Philly, we were praying for uh, God to hold back the rain so that we can have our picnic. And so far, so good. And so after the uh, service, we're going to be heading over to uh, Han River Park near Ichon Station. And uh, we're going to be having a church-wide picnic between both campuses. So, you know, I just want to invite everybody uh, to come on out. Uh, church is paying for most of the food, so it'll be free. Uh, and if we run out of money, we're going to get the money from the leaders. So if you're not a leader, don't worry about it. And the leaders will gladly put in money to be a blessing. That's what a leader does. They lead with their, with their pocket to be a blessing. Amen. But praise the Lord for holding back the rain. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So if you have an ESV copy of the Bible, please uh, open it up and read with me. If you don't, you can look up on the PowerPoint. But I do encourage you to bring your Bible and mark it up. Read it from your own physical Bible. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says... You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, how can this be? How can we be dead when we are, even before we became Christians, we're living and walking and breathing? Uh, before I, I, I go on with my message, I want to honor someone that's uh, here with us today. Uh, his, de- his name is Deacon Sam. And uh, he is uh, the representative deacon that serves and supports uh, the, our church, we're under submission to the Korean mother church called Cheir Songdo, and that's the church that we're part of. It's a much bigger church, and we're the English ministry of that church. And so Deacon Sam is here today visiting, and just want uh, just want to honor him. Deacon Sam, could you stand to your feet? Let's just bless him. All right. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> In Korea, that's just a sign of big love and respect. All right, but uh, we just we just want to honor you, Deacon Sam. Thank you for coming out. All right. Uh, now, the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, before we come to Christ, we're like dead men walking. You might be breathing. You might have your heart it's pumping. 
But before you know Christ, you're like a dead man walking. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, is what the Bible says. And if you, without going too much into it, if you are, of course, I'm going to mention this again, Calvinists, all right, if you believe in the Reformed view of the doctrine of election, you know that the view of God's grace in Calvinism is much bigger than the view of God's grace in Arminianism. Because Calvinists believe, see, Arminian, I'm going to have to go through this. All right, I, gave, I went through this at Hillside, I got to go through this. Arminians believe, they, they have this uh, analogy, and you don't have to, you can take it or leave it, you need to digest it and go on your own journey toward uh, theology that uh, you feel like is biblical. But um, there's an analogy that Arminians make, and the Arminians are like people that pretty much disagree with the reform view. And so there's a lot of variants of Arminian views of election. Uh, but one analogy that they love to use is that the state of mankind is very bad. And mankind is just so desperately bad that the view that they give is mankind is like a sick person in a hospital bed. Except the sick person is not just in a hospital bed, but this person is paralyzed from the top down, can't even lift his finger, just paralyzed and can't do nothing. And then the preacher, the evangelist comes and brings the medicine of the gospel on a little spoon and holds it up to the mouth of the sick person. And that sick person has to just open and quiver his lips and just receive the medicine of the gospel. And all that person has to do is drink it in and then they will go from death to life and they become a Christian. And that's the view that Armenians uh, have about the depravity of man and the grace of our God. That God sends his son, God comes into the hospital room, God sends the evangelist to preach the gospel to you, and God has that evangelist hold the medicine of the gospel to your lips, and all you got to do is drink, but nobody can force you to drink. So Armenians are big on free will. Nobody can, God can't force you to do anything. Even to receive the gospel, he won't force it on you. So you got to say yes or no. And in our experience of how we receive the gospel, this analogy seems very accurate and true. But you can't base theology based on just your experience. Theology must be centered and derived from the Word of God. Right? And so the Calvinist says, no, 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 no. That analogy, it sounds great, but it's actually not what the Bible says. The Bible says things like Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the Calvinist shouts back and says, here's the real analogy of man's condition and God's grace. Man is not a paralyzed guy in a hospital bed. Man is dead and six feet under. He's been dead for days and he stinks. And there ain't no evangelist able to just hold up medicine. You can hold up medicine to a dead body. The dead body ain't going to do nothing. And God not only sent his son, and that's the work of grace, but the work of grace is that God moves upon that which is dead and calls it forth into life. So we have a great picture of this in the Gospels. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for quite a few days. And Martha tries to warn Jesus, do not go in there because it stinks. But Jesus insists that he's going to go in there. 
And when he goes into the grave where Lazarus' body is already bandaged up and it's stinking, Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come forth. And then what did Lazarus do? Did he say, no, get off me. I ain't doing nothing. Did he just remain there lying dead? No. When Jesus said, rise forth, Lazarus had, 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 didn't have any say in it. He just rose up. And that's what the Calvinist says is a more accurate analogy of the gospel and of the view of God's grace. Is that man in his depraved condition, he can't even open his lips because he's dead. And what God does is he takes us from death to life simply by the call of God. Can many people hear the gospel? Now, some people hear the gospel 20, 30, 40 times and they still reject Christ. In fact, each preaching of the gospel seems to harden their hearts and cause them to go on their way even to be more wicked. And Jesus, if you really study the words of Jesus, it's kind of scary. Jesus spoke in parables. You know why? When they were like, why don't we just speak plainly? Why you got to use all these parables? Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said so that it could be hidden from the wise. That's why I speak parables. So that the wise and learned. Otherwise, they may see and turn and be healed. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I don't want them to be healed. You know, if you really study the words of Jesus, it's kind of scary. All right, but let me, let me not throw this at you right now. This is a heavy theology. But uh, what I'm trying to get at is Ephesians 2 is a very sober and, and accurate depiction of the depravity of man. When we, before we met Christ, the Bible says we're dead. That means you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to even respond to it. It's simply a work of God's grace. And it says you're dead in your trespasses and sins following the patterns of this world. You know, when you don't know Christ, even when you do know Christ, sometimes we go back and we follow the patterns of this world. Following also the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Does anybody have any idea? Okay, this is Satan. Following the patterns of the world, following the Satan, we used to live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. Why do men and women give themselves over to promiscuity? Why? Because they have a sexual desire. That's why. And most of us in here, you know, unless you are a eunuch, you are probably, you have sexual desires. And some of you have the grace to be like, you know what? That's all right. I have sexual desires, but I'm still going to remain single. Then you have the gift of celibacy, as the Bible says. And some people don't have that. And other people, they're like, Psh, that ain't me. I need to get married. All right. And that's you need to bring those desires before God. But, you know, we have sexual desires. You don't got to be ashamed of that. You don't got to be ashamed of that. And uh, But it's when we carry out the desires of our body according to our own ways. In our own, you know, when God says, you know, sex is for the institution of marriage and it's to be enjoyed and honored. The, the marriage bed is to be kept pure. And when we go outside of the word of God, that's when we're just carrying out the desires of our body. And when we, it also says carrying out the desires of our mind. Instead of submitting to the word of God, before we knew Christ, we were carrying out the desires of what we thought was right. And so the, the Ephesians chapter 2 goes into this. You were dead 
You're following the patterns of the world, following the prince of the air, carrying out the desires of your body and your mind. And because of this is the way that we lived, the Bible says, look at verse, um, check this out, what is that, verse 3. The Bible says, because of the way we were living like this, we were by nature children of what? Children of wrath. I'm here to tell you some bad news. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian in here, you're a child of wrath. You might have heard somebody say, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. It's popular to say in the South. We're all God's children. Black, white, red, yellow, we're all God's children. And it's great for racial harmony, but it's not great for theology. It's not for accurate theology because if you really believe God's, we're all God's children, that means we're all going to heaven. If you, if you really believe that God's, God's, God would not allow his children to go to hell, you would believe in universalism. But if you don't believe that, you believe that all God's children, but all God's children, not all God's children receive the gospel message, then you believe that there are some of God's children that end up going to hell. But I really don't think that's what the Bible is painting for us. Jesus said, I will lose none of that which my father gives me. You did not choose me. I chose you. Right. Jesus knows his sheep and he knows them by name. And so the Bible is saying before you knew Christ, you are a child of wrath. Okay. But let's read verse four together. Okay. Look at verse four. Ready? One, two, three. Read it. But God, okay, we stop right there. But God, hallelujah. Two of the, two of the most beautiful words in the Bible is but God, hallelujah. The devil did this, the devil had that, the devil doing this, but God, hallelujah. We are dead in a trespass of sin, following the ways and the patterns of the world, following the spirits of the power of the air, but God. That's good news. You're a child of wrath, but God, hallelujah. Pastor Christian, I, I, I don't know. My life is kind of messed up. I made some poor choices. I don't know if I can get back with the Lord. You don't know what kind of mess I put myself in. I got two words for you. But God. Right there. But God. That's all you need. That's all. That's, that's, this message we call, but God. No, no, I, I, this should be another message. That's a good word right there. You, I could preach a whole sermon on that. But God, hallelujah. Look, all you got to do is let God back in. He will turn all your messes. He'll turn them around for your good. There ain't no mess. God's like, oh, you know what? That's your mess. I ain't touching that. Oh, I know I'm God, but I, that's a big mess. You need to take care of that. No, God says you come as you are. I'll clean you up. I'll turn all things for the good of those who love me. But God, hallelujah. And the Bible says, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were not looking for him, even when we were not seeking him, when we were just living in the passions of our flesh, even when we were dead, the Bible says, God made us alive together. With Christ. God not only sent his son. To the cross. And resurrected him. And gave us the gospel message. That is not just grace. If you, if you think that's the grace message. You, you don't really know what grace means yet. If you think the grace is just simply the cross. 
Okay, that's just the beginning of grace. See, what good is the message of the cross if it can't be applied to a person's heart? If a person will not and cannot submit to the gospel and is willingly and wanting the gospel, right? Grace goes deeper than just the cross. Grace goes deeper and applies the message of the cross into a person's heart and life. And the Bible says we were made alive. Made alive so that we can praise God in spirit and in truth. We can worship Him in spirit and in truth. Made alive so that when we read the Word of God, we don't fall asleep. Although it's okay if you still fall asleep. But there are things that stick out to you. The Word of God is not words on a page, but it comes living in your life. Because the Word of God is living. But the one without the Spirit of God, the one who's still a child of wrath, they cannot understand spiritual things. Why? Because they must be spiritually discerned by the Spirit of God. If you are not a Christian, you don't have the Spirit of God in you yet. And the words and wisdom of God will only seem like foolishness to you. But you see, God made us alive so that we can understand His revelation and truths. God made us alive. And the good news is, you keep reading, verse 5 and 6, right? God made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with Him, and this is we're getting to the message now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where's my clock? I need to I need to see the clock. Well, I'm going to I'm going to you need to give me like 10 minute warning here. OK. All right. He raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This is the message I want to preach to you today. Every Christian has been made alive in Christ, raised with him and is seated with him in the heavenly places. Does anybody have any idea what this means? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Tell him, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Come on, tell him that. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Tell another neighbor. Come on, turn around. Tell him. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Yeah. Now, what, what does this mean? I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You know, when I, when I was getting mentored by my mentor <laughs> um, in college, I was mentored by an Italian-American pastor named Brother Michael. I talk about him all the time. Uh, when he would ever teach me about my identity in Christ, he would always mention, Brother Christian, you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Hallelujah! And I and would be like, yeah! What's that mean? What the seated with Christ in the heaven? What does that mean? And uh, in the Bible, that term heavenlies or heavenly places, that term is used five times in the Bible. And all five times it appears in the book of Ephesians. And if you look at and you read the book and you read how it's being used, heavenly place is simply referring to the spirit realm. Sim- simply referring to the spirit realm. But when it talks about the fact that we are seated with... because. Uh, Here's how you can tell it's talking about the spirit realm. Because it says, the rulers, authority, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authority. You know that famous verse, Ephesians 6, 12? Uh, but it's talking about demons. And it says, rulers, authorities, and, you know, and forces of darkness in the heavenly places. So obviously, it's not talking about heaven or the third heaven. You know? It's talking about heavenly places, meaning just the spirit realm. But... When the Bible says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, it's not just simply referring to the spirit realm. It's specific. It's referring to a specific position that we have in the spirit realm. How do we know this? Well, you look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at 
a chapter earlier. Look at verse 19 and 21 if you have the Bible. Look at that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 and 21 says, According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Hallelujah. Here in Ephesians 1, it's talking about where Christ is seated. If you want to know what it means to be seated with Christ, you got to first understand where Christ is seated. Amen? So if chapter 1 of Ephesians is going over that. And in here it says, the place that Christ is right now seated, this is where Jesus is right now. He's seated in a place that is above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named. That's where he's seated. And the Bible says it's not, it's not only above, but it is far above. It is a place of sovereignty. Christ is seated in a place of authority and sovereignty above all rulers, above all demonic realm, above uh, uh, demonic spirits, above all earthly rulers. Christ is seated above all, far above all. Now, the amazing thing is, in chapter 2, the scriptures tell us that where Christ is seated, we're seated with him. So this is not just like a small chair. You got to envision like a bench. I don't know. It got to be a big bench. There's a lot of us seated with him there. Okay. But there's space for you to sit there because you are seated. The Bible says not only is Christ seated there, you are seated there. When you're in Christ, you're seated with him in heavenly places. And I believe this, is, this message is talk, telling us that Christ is not looking for just a people that are like robots and mindless lemmings that just go where they're told and do what they do. Christ is not raising up a people. He's not, he's not that type of king. He doesn't want to control everything and be all about all in your business. When you're first coming back to the Lord, that's the view of God you might have. But the deeper you go in with the Lord, the more you understand that Christ is not just called you servants, but he calls you friends. And a friend does not, you see, a servant does not know the master's business, Jesus said, but a friend does. You see, Christ is not looking for us to just say all the time, Lord, less of me, more of you. Lord, all glory to you. Lord, it be all you, you, you. You call all the shots, all glory be to you. Lord, I don't want to make any decisions. The only things that I want to do are the things that you tell me to do. And it sounds great. It sounds spiritual. But it lacks maturity. It lacks understanding. That's where Christ wants your heart when you're first coming back to the Lord. But that's not where he wants you to stay. Because that's not the kind of people he's looking for. He's not looking for people that are, that are just like, you know, uh, Jesus, all right, now tell me what to do. I did this, all right, now tell me what to do next. I tell, you know, as a pastor, when the, when, the, when the church people do that to the pastor, it is very tiring. Like they come to me for every little decision. Every little decision. It's very tiring. Pastor Chris, can you pray for me about this? Can you pray for me about that? What do you think I should do about this? What do you think about that? I'm just like, hey, go, go pray and find out for yourself. Hey, you have a mind and you, in your mind, it has the ability to be bound to the mind of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Hey, just ask. Use and use your wisdom. Use the knowledge. Use the brain. Use the, you, 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 use some. 
But stop coming to me. You're tiring me out. And then you know what? That's not the type of people that we as New Philadelphia Church is looking to raise up. And about the vision of our church is to raise up an army of mighty warriors. You know, sometimes you look in the army, you look in the military, earthly military, and you got a bunch of soldiers that are mindless. All they do, all they want to do is just take orders. Now, that's great. That's a great place to start out because you got to learn submission to authority. Let me tell you something. You can't skip that step. You got to be willing. You got to have that willingness. And that's where you got to start, where you where you take orders. But if that's all you stay at, there's something wrong. I'm telling you, big battles and wars will not be won by just a bunch of soldiers that are just waiting to take orders. You need mighty warriors that can make strategic decisions. That can organize the people of God. That's, that's our vision. is to raise up an army of mighty warriors. Not an army of lemmings. Y- y'all know what lemmings are? Back in the old days when video games were real ghetto. Lemmings was this art. I think it started with Atari. I think. Atari. I can't even say it no more. Atari. Oh, my bad. My bad. Hey. 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 All right. Uh, it's a game where it was, it was on the computer too. Where uh, there was these uh, little people. And they were just mindless. They would just follow each other. Right? And then you were the lemming master. I don't know. You have to like click this and click that. And then you would have to direct the lemmings so that they don't fall off the cliff and die and kill themselves. Because one, star, one starts falling off the cliff. They all fall off the cliff with them. So, you know, the lemmings was this game where, anyway, to say you're a lemming means like t- to say that you're just like a zombie. You're a robot. Just follow and you just take orders. But look, that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for people that will be seated with him in, in heavenly places. That know that, that understand that, and that exercise the authority from that position and place. It's not just something you understand in your mind and believe, but it's something that you exercise and experience. That's the kind of people God's looking for. In Revelation 5.10, in the King James Version, the Bible says that God has made his people kings and priests unto our God. Let me tell you right now, God wants you to be a people of kings and priests. I as a pastor. I would love to see you guys. Do the work of the ministry. Because if you go a couple chapters. In Ephesians chapter 4. The original intent of God. Was not for pastors to do all the work of the ministry. In Ephesians 4.11. It says God gave apostles, prophets. Evangelists, teachers, pastors. And pastors is the list of last, by the way. And he gave these fivefold ministers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But Satan has turned that around. And it just says, no saints, no people of God. The pastor is supposed to do all the work of the ministry. That stuff is hard. That stuff is complicated. You need to be smart to understand theology. You need to learn Greek and Hebrew to understand theology. No, you, all you need is the spirit of God and a hum- humble heart. You don't, you don't, you don't got to, I mean, it's, it helps to study Hebrew and Greek. And you, you have more accurate exegesis and, and exposit, exposition of the word, but ex, exposition. I'm sorry, I don't know what all my pronunciations are off today. But um, look, all you need is the spirit of God because the Bible says, First John, you have an anointing from God. And you don't need a man to teach you everything. But that anointing teaches you and it confirms what's true. 
by the Holy Spirit, his ministry is complete. But Jesus said, you will, I will send you somebody, a help, a, a counselor, and he will lead you into what? 80% of truth? No, he said all truth. It's just that our faith has to rise up to believe that that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. He's there to lead you into all truth. So even if you uh, go astray and start believing some like errors, it's just temporary. You stay humble before the Lord and get filled with the Spirit. He'll lead you always into all truth. That's what I believe with all my heart. Hallelujah. And so whenever, you know, even when I, I meet somebody that argues with me in theology and says, you know, you're wrong and this, that's not right and this is right. You know, I just look at them and say, hey, God bless you, bro. You know, are you filled with the Spirit? Because if you are, man, I really believe that you're going to come to my, where I stand one day. I'm <laughs> uh, just joking. Anyway, I, it can work the other way, I guess, you know. But I, as long as I'm humble, I believe that God will lead me into all truth. Hallelujah. Anyway, Christ is looking for people that understand their position. And that their position is not just to be here on earth, barely surviving. But our position is we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's from the place we got to start to pray. You see, your prayer life will be radically different if you understand that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. See, most of the time, we pray like we're seated in muddy, earthly, lower region places. But you see, we got to pray. If you want to pray with authority, you ever look at a man who prays with authority? I bet you that's a man that understands that he's seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now, um, as we're talking all about the fact that we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, a good question to ask at this point is, why is Christ seated? I don't know if you've ever imagined Christ in heaven, in the heavenly places right now, but the Bible tells us to imagine him as sitting. Why will Christ be seated? There's so much work to do on the earth. We've got to evangelize the lost. We've got to heal all those oppressed of the devil. We've got to disciple the nation. There's so much work to be done. Why is Jesus sitting? But the Bible says Jesus is sitting. Now, most of us associate sitting with laziness. Especially when there's a lot of work to do. You know... um, uh, back in high school, I used to uh, serve with a community service group called Habitat for Humanity. And it's a group that um, is a nonprofit that raises money and gets manual labor from volunteers. And then they build houses for the poor. And so, you know, we'd be all up in there with my classmates and we would be doing the work and we'll be pounding. And most of the times we pull weed, actually, because they didn't want us to get hurt. <laughs> so most of the time we were in the back taking out the trash and there's a lot of trash uh, in, in inner city Philadelphia, by the way. And there's a lot of weeds as well. So we're just pulling weeds. And, and there be those people. While we're sweating it up, getting our hands dirty, they would just be taking a break and sitting down. Every 10 minutes, every 5 minutes, they'd be sitting down taking a break. Right? When you see people like that and you're doing hard work, what do you want to say to them? You want to rebuke them. And be like, you, 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 man, you're lazy. Get up and help out, man. Everybody's doing their work. You better help. You better get up. Right? Cause why? Cause we associate sitting with laziness, especially when there's a lot of work to do. But in Ephesians, sitting is not a term used to describe someone who's lazy. 
sitting is used to describe somebody who is the Lord. And Jesus is not sitting because he's lazy. Jesus is sitting because he is Lord. We got to talk about where is Jesus sitting? What the Bible tells us, Jesus is sitting not on the floor up there in heaven, not on a couch. He is seated on a throne. Why? Because Jesus is king. That's why. He's sitting not because he's lazy, but because he is Lord. Hallelujah. Why? Why? You might still be asking, why is Christ still seated, though? All right, I understand that part. Maybe, you know, because, you know, like, why is he sitting? Kings, you know, they get up and they do work. And then they sit down and then, you know, they decree things. And then they get up and they do work. Why is Christ sitting? And Hebrews 8 reveals another reason why Christ is sitting. Hebrews 8.1 says, We have a high priest, one who is seated. Now, if you know in the Old Testament what priests did, one thing that priests did not do was sit. Okay? Priests had to, like, they would have to carry the lamb, you know, or the goat or whatever animal they had to kill. That was messy work. They would have to take that animal, all right, and they would have to get, like, they would have to go through the uh, ceremony of sprinkling blood on their earlobes. And on their uh, big toes, and they have to uh, tie a rope around, uh, especially the high priest. They, they go in once a, once a year. They would tie a rope around their ankle with a bell attached to it, and they would have to carry. And they would go in, and they have to make the animal sacrifice with a bell, you know. And the reason why they would have a rope and a bell is because sometimes if you didn't do things right, God would just strike down the high priest. And so if you stop hearing that bell, you use the rope and you pulled out the dead body. All right, I mean this is a serious work. One thing the priest did not do in the Old Testament is sit. But the Bible describes Jesus as our high priest. And he's sitting. What is going on? They're supposed to make sacrifices and, and make atonement for the people. Why is Christ the great high priest? Why is he sitting? And in Hebrews chapter 7, a chapter earlier, it explains to us why. It says, unlike other high priests... Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He doesn't have to do that. Because he sacrificed for our sins once and for all when he offered himself. I'll tell you why Christ is seated. Sitting. Why I keep saying seating. Uh, I'll tell you why Christ is sitting up in heavenly places. We know why he's sitting. You ever, you ever have a big project to do or like a big assignment to do? Uh, let's say, um, uh, give me something. Give me something like that will take all day to do. Uh, yeah, moving. And when's the last time y'all, y'all, all y'all moved, right? Y'all have been involved in moving unless you have to hire movers and stuff. And then, you know, all right, God bless you, Kongju. But, you know, like, you know, most of us have done the work of moving, maybe recently, you know. And when you help out a friend, especially a friend that says, oh, it's just a few things. Right? And you go and help and it takes all day. What do you do when you're finished helping that person move? You find a chair, you find a couch, you find anything that you can sit on and you plop down and you say, oh man, can I, hey, can I get a glass of water? Or uh, the person's busy, you go get it yourself. And then you sit down at the end of a long day. 
Why? Because at the end of the long day, the work is complete. There's that feeling of just satisfaction. And just, it's done. Well, check it out. Christ is sitting as a great high priest because after he went to the cross, as he was hanging there right before he died, he said something very interesting. He said, it is finished. And when Jesus said it's finished, he meant it. He said, it is finished. The work that I need to do to atone for the sins of these people, it's finished. On the cross, there's nothing else that Jesus can do for all of eternity into the future that he can do to add to the work of the cross. It's finished. It's complete. And what do you do when something's complete? You sit down. And Jesus is sitting up in heaven. And it's a sign and a symbol unto us that the work of the cross is complete. And you know what, you know what bad doctrine and theology looks like? And this is, you know, not to particularly rat, rag on the Catholic Church. But, you know, one distinction between uh, Protestants and Catholics uh, is that the Catholic view of the Mass is vastly different than the Reformers' view of the Mass. The Catholic view of the Mass involves something called transubstantiation. It's just a big word that means that Catholics believe that when you do, when you break the bread and you, you distribute the wine and the elements, they believe that the bread turns into the literal flesh of Christ and that the, the wine turns into the literal blood of Christ. That the substance, transubstantiation, the substance of the bread and the wine literally turn into the flesh and blood of Jesus. Where do they get this? They get this from the verse where Jesus said, My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. If you do not have, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part to do with me. So they take that very literally and they believe it changes. And so they believe that the, uh, the, uh, the high priest or the priests, that they have the authority to crucify Christ every time the mass happens. So they, they believe that the cross is an ongoing sacrifice. So at the Mass, Christ is crucified when they distribute those elements. Christ is crucified again. So you notice in the Catholic Church, when you look at a cross, what's, what's on the cross? It's a, dead body, it's, a, it's a dead body of Jesus. There's like a bodily form of Jesus on the cross. But in the, in the Protestant churches, you never see that ever. Why? Because we don't believe in a Jesus that's constantly being crucified. We believe in Jesus that did it once for all. And he's not hanging on the cross each week you do Mass. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and says, it's finished, once for all. Christ is sitting down, because he's saying, it is finished. Now, let me close with this. Let me just share with you this. You know, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus did a lot of sitting. I think he just likes a lot of sitting. Okay, because I did a, a concordance search. And uh, if you look, read through the Gospels, a lot of times when Jesus taught, he'd be sitting. He would sit on the mountainside. He would just, he would sit in the temple. Jesus said, did you, when he was on trial, he was like, did you not see me sitting in the temple teaching? Why didn't you arrest me then? You know, Jesus liked to sit. If you, if you like to sit, then you're very Christ-like. Jesus liked to sit. And he liked to sit throughout his ministry. 
And then even when he was entering Jerusalem, they didn't have cars back then. And Jesus was like, man, look, you don't understand. I'm a king. Look, you don't understand. I'm a king. But check this out. I ain't, I ain't walking into, into Jerusalem. I'm going to go in sitting. Because that's what kings do. You know, kings, even back in the day, they had those, you know, those chariots. You know, they go in there and then, and then you know, servants or, you know, whatever, horses, whatever, you know, they will pull the, pull the carriage, you know. And that's where the king will sit down and enter into the city. Well, Jesus was like, well, I need something. So to fulfill prophecy, they got a donkey that had never been ridden on before, by the way. Jesus is like, that is my donkey. And I'm going to go into Jerusalem seated on this donkey. Hallelujah. And Jesus liked to sit. Jesus liked to sit. But let me tell you something. One time in his ministry where he did not sit. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus, on the last day, at the end of all time, He's going to be sitting on what's called a great white throne. And it's a white throne of judgment. And there's a book, a huge book, either that or a, like a laptop book. I don't know, like, you know, but it's going to be something with a very extensive database of everything you have ever done for all of, all of history, for all of mankind. There's going to be a book. And people are going to be judged according to what they've, what's written in the book. And there's another book. It's called the Book of Life. And in the Book of Life, there are names. And if your name is written in the Book of Life, you go on into paradise. And you go into something else called a believer's judgment for rewards. But at the great white throne, every man and woman that have ever lived there will be judged according to what they've done. But you see, there's something about something about that. You see, the great white throne, Jesus seated on a judgment seat. But let me tell you something right now. When Jesus was captured, betrayed by his, one of his own disciples, when he appeared before the high priest and Pilate, Jesus didn't sit. Jesus stood. Although there was nothing wrong found in him, he stood and remained silent like a sheep being led to his shearers. He was silent at his trial. And he stood before the judgment seat of the high priest and of Pilate. And he willingly, and the Bible even says joyfully, he endured the cross. If you see him on the hill of Calvary, Jesus is not sitting. He's carrying that cross. When you see him being whipped and scourged, he's not sitting. He's being tortured. When he's on that cross, he's hanging there and suffering and dying for you and for me. Jesus stood before the judgment seat of the high priest and of Pilate. He did that so that you will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. But instead, you will get to sit with him and reign for all of eternity. You will co-reign with Christ. And you know, this, is, this is a concept in the body of Christ we've got to get comfortable with. Christ doesn't want us to just take orders. He wants us to co-reign with him. 
And when the Bible says, I will not give my glory to another. And so Christians use that to say, oh, go all glory to God. I don't do anything. It's not me. I didn't do anything. I didn't contribute anything. It was all God. It was all God. Well, obviously some of those choices were yours and you did contribute to, you know, what happened. It's all God. It's all glory to God. All glory to God. Look, when God says, I will not give my glory to another, you look at the context of that passage. God is talking about idols. God is not talking about, I will not give my glory to my own people. I will not give my glory to anyone. I am God. No one will get my glory but me. In a sense, you know, that, that in a sense, that's true. But in the way that Christians apply it, man, we're so off. Because if you look in the Bible, in the New Covenant, Christ is looking for people that are kings and priests. A people that will co-reign with Him. A people that will share in His glory. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know if I can share in the glory of God. Look, God is willingly wanting to share that glory with you. He doesn't want you to get to heaven and say, Well, Lord, I didn't do nothing. It was all your grace from beginning to end. Yeah, it is His grace. It will be accurate to say. But if you have this attitude like, Lord, I ain't do nothing. It was all you. It was you. You put it in me and it was all you. It was all you. And then, yes, in a sense, it's true. But, but I, you know, you know what God wants to say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. How can he say well done if you were just a robot and a lemming and you didn't have any say in anything and you didn't make any choices of your own? It was just, it was just, you know, it was just all God. No, God is looking to say well done. He's looking for people that will that will be seated with him in heavenly places. Check this out. One thing I, I preach at Hillside that I, I want to reveal as revelation to you. Have you noticed that 2,000 years ago, Christ died on the cross, ascended to heaven, and guess what? Christ never came back on bodily form on the earth. He appears in visions. He appears maybe in, uh, in, in people you know, in spiritual ways, but he never appeared on bodily form again on the earth. Have you noticed that? Why not? Come on, Jesus. It would help us out down here. If he just come every 40 years. My logic is if he just came every 40 years, it'll be a good reminder. It'll be a fresh encounter. And it'll keep the ch- church on our feet. But look look what happened in the dark ages. Jesus, where were you? You could have just you, you visited once before. Why can't you just visit again? Come on. Like the Terminator. You keep coming back. Just come back and show. You know? Help us out that. But you know, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus never comes in bodily form. Why? Because he's seated. See, Christ's work right now is as our great intercessor. Well, who is he interceding for? Well, he's interceding for us. What's he interceding for us for? That we will complete the good work that he entrusted to us. The ministry that he carried on the earth, he's giving it to you. That's why it's important for you to realize you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Look, when you die or when you, and when, if Jesus returns like next week, whatever, you know, when we get and we meet with Christ in, 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 the, in the clouds and, and, you know, we meet him in the sky and whatever and uh, we get seated with Christ in the heavens later, like you'll be like, wow, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. But look, you can experience that today. That's what Ephesians is saying. You don't have to wait until the resurrection. You don't have to wait till you die and go to heaven. You get to experience it and exercise that today, brothers and sisters. That's what the devil wants to keep us from. He wants to keep us from this truth. But you see, as men and women of God, look at, look at what the people are doing outside. 
Actually, is that an evangelist? Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, all this week, politicians have been campaigning all over the city. Why are they doing that? Why are they on these trucks in the back with these ajumas and ajashis doing a little dance and saying, uh, you know, Yoshimi hagesumida, je, joiram, i yongho imnida, and I don't know what they were saying, but you know, why are they all those, all those, all this fuss about political, why, why is all that going on? Why? Because these people, they want to get elected for what? So that they can exercise authority and leadership and bring changes onto their community. But can I say something? You have won an election. And it did not take a majority vote. It just took one vote. It's God. God is the majority vote. And he voted for you. You are elected into office. And you are also to take authority and leadership and bring changes on the earth. But we got to understand that we're seated not in the poor poverty slavery shackles we're not seated with christ in the prisons that's how some of us live we're seated with christ in the heavenly places hallelujah you know that's why i believe there's a fresh revelation right here right here hallelujah thank you god thank you holy spirit and apostle paul and silas they were locked up in chains i mean this is there's a difference i heard in my church history class between peter and paul because Peter, when he was imprisoned, he was sleeping. He fell asleep. And then when the angel came and said, hey, get up, he was like, oh, this is a dream? <laughs> like, like, like Peter was not the picture-perfect apostle, all right? He was not the, the, quite the diligent one, but, you know, we still honor him, you know? <laughs> but here's the difference between Peter and Paul. When they got into prison, Peter was asleep and couldn't believe it when the angel woke him up and opened up the, the cell doors. But Paul and Silas, when they got in prison, you know what they did? It was, the, it was like midnight, and guess what they're doing? They're having church. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. And all the prisoners are, man, shut up. God bless you over there. You just, you just don't understand. This is the joy. I got to let it out. Can I come near to sing? All right. Okay, here I am to word. They're just having church and silence and Paul and praying in tongues. I bet you they're praying in tongues. I bet you they were praying in tongues. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. And they're just praising God in the prison. Why? They're, they're shackled up. And they, they, didn't they get scourged? All right, I got to check my Bible. Anyway, I think they did. I think they did. And they didn't have nobody. They did get scourged. And I remember. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Leading to all truth. They got whipped. They're bleeding. They didn't get no band-aids from the, you know, prison warden. They're shackled up. They're bleeding. And what are they doing? They're praising God. Why? What kind of crazy, ludicrous response to that, to being in prison? What is that? What, where is it? Why are they responding that way? Because even though they were in the prison physically, in the spirit realm, they were seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Nothing in their physical realm changed the truth. Of their position in the spirit realm. And Paul is a man that always knew. He's seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Oh, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters. I'm going to close with this. Jesus said something very interesting. He quoted Psalm 110 verse 1. It's a prophecy Talking about the Messiah. 
prophecy goes like this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What? Jesus, he, he quoted this in the Gospels. He said, hey, hey, let's talk about me. Hey, do y'all get it? Let's talk about me. If, if it's just talk about David, how can you call him Lord when, when he's the Lord? Look, it's talking about me. And Jesus, it was fulfilled in Jesus. And just check this out. What God the Father is saying to Jesus, the Son, he's saying, sit, Jesus. You don't have to go to earth every 40 years. Jesus, you went to the cross. Your work is complete. My beloved Son, sit until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet until I bring all your enemies and subdue them and put it under your feet until I bring all wickedness and evil, human trafficking, child prostitution, rape, murder, until I bring everything under your feet. Jesus, you just take a seat. If Jesus is sitting, because by the way, he's not, he, he is going to get up later. And then he's going to sit on something else. It's called a white cloud. I mean, not a white cloud. It's just a cloud. And he's going to come in Revelation 14, 14. And then later on, he's going to be sitting on a great white horse. The white horse. He's coming as a warrior. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's something else. I'm sorry. But he's sitting. And, and, and how is the gospel going to spread if Jesus is just sitting? Here's the answer. You. The father is saying to the son, sit until I make you. Your enemies, a footstool for your feet. What? With Jesus sitting, how is, how is God the Father going to make his enemies, a, uh, how are they going to put them under his feet? If Jesus is just sitting. All right, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, and that's where you come in. You see, the Bi Bible says that we are the body of Christ. Last time I checked, my body has feet. So if all the enemies are supposed to be put under the feet of Christ and we are the body, that means all those enemies need to be put under the feet of the church, under the feet of God's people. We are to have authority and dominion on the earth. We may not be able to take over the whole earth, but look, we need to get much more than where we are at right now. Brothers and sisters, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And God's given you great authority and position so that you can make his enemies and bring them under his feet. So that we can destroy the works of the devil. Wherever it's found, poverty, destroyed. Human trafficking, destroyed. William Wilberforce, come on. Here is a man who represents the body of Christ and he put under his feet the institution of slavery. In Great Britain. And Abraham Lincoln. Here is another man of God. Maybe he's not perfect. But what a much honored man. Him representing the body of Christ. Abraham Lincoln. Puts under his feet. The institution of slavery in America. And brings freedom. For guys like my brother Marcus. Hallelujah. We are to put the devil's works under our feet. And we do it with authority 
and boldness that comes with realizing we're seated with him in the heavens. Uh, let's pray.